Uh, but we are in 1 Peter 3, and for those of you who have been here through the weekend, uh, I know we've been going through the passages here uh, and looking at different things. Our theme is hope, uh, and um, uh, I'm going to start in uh, verse 13, and uh, I love to ask people to rise if you're able to out of respect for God's Word, uh, to stand as we read the Scriptures here. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18, and then we're going to talk about hope that we find in Christ Jesus. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, all the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God who he was brought to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word and for the hope that you bring. Hope that the world does not offer, hope that the world does not understand, but hope that the world does long for so deeply. And so God, even this morning, as we think about the hope that we find in you, God, we pray that we will be reminded that we have uh, not just a responsibility, but an invitation to share the hope that we have because of you. God, may my words be forgotten and may your words be remembered and leavened into the lives, hearts, minds, and hands of these folks. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I was thinking about the concept of hope, uh, I started thinking about something that I've been involved with over about the last month or so. I got a call from a friend of mine uh, Greg Mathis, he pastors a church up in uh, Flat Rock, North Carolina, home of many good restaurants uh, outside Hendersonville. Uh, it's a church called Mud Creek, which is a huge country church uh, up there. And uh, Greg called me and he said, uh, you need to be aware that there's a prayer movement that we're a part of that's going on. And he said, I think you'll find it encouraging because they have asked to be able to pray for North Greenville and to pray for the leaders and the students. And so uh, we, we had a conference call, and, and they prayed for us there. And then a couple of weeks later, he said, can you come to the church at noon on this particular day? Uh, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for Fruitland. We want to pray for some others. And uh, as we began to have a conversation, he said that there's, there's a prayer movement that is really gaining traction. And this is audacious, Brother Will. They are praying for a million people to be saved over the next 10 years, and 100,000 young people to be called into ministry and missions over the next 10 years. Does that sound audacious to anybody? Well, he had me come up, and one of my staff members went with me, and this was at noon on a weekday, and we walked into the church, and there were 300 people in the church at noon on a weekday to pray from five different states. Does that shock anybody? I was shocked when I, I thought it was going to be like 30 people or something. So go in the sanctuary. So they called me up and uh, called up a couple of other people that are connected with uh, colleges and universities, and they had a specific time of prayer for us. And I was very moved by this. 
And uh, one of the reasons that I was moved by it was that the following Monday, we were starting a revival on campus for our students because we start the year with a revival. We want somebody to come and preach the gospel to our students. Many of our students are Christ followers, but many of them are not Christ followers. And so we had Rob Wilton speaking on campus that week. He's the son of Don Wilton. Many of you know him from Spartanburg. Uh, Don was my evangelism professor when I was in seminary, so I've known him for a long time. Well, Rob uh, preached, and one of the things that often happens in a time of revival is that we begin to feel that there's something happening that is uh, almost a lid on the pot, if you will. And so they preached, and we could feel something, and they preached, and we could feel something, and they preached, and they, we could feel something. But we knew these folks were, were praying. We knew something was happening, but we saw only like one or two kids who made professions of faith. Uh, faith. The next week, the new president at New Orleans Seminary, Jamie Dew, came, and he preached on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Wednesday, that was on Monday, on Wednesday we knew that Clayton King was coming. Anybody ever heard of Clayton King? He's one of the great evangelists that we have in America right now. He preached for David Jeremiah a couple of weeks ago, and they had 200 people make professions of faith in that service, or in the services that week. And so we began to just pray, pray, pray. We knew that something was happening. We knew that people were praying for us. And I texted Clayton and I said, man, you better be ready to preach the gospel because these kids are ready. And y'all, we had over 40 kids make professions of faith in one day. Now, they asked me at this prayer group to give a report. So last week I gave them a report. And can you imagine their reaction when they are praying for people to get saved and for students to be called into missions and ministry, can you imagine when they heard that report? They were a little excited. Y'all, we put food from fats on our Instagram pages, but we don't tell people about Jesus on our social media like we ought to. We'll complain about stuff. We'll talk about politics. Y'all, we had 40-something kids who made professions of faith and changed their lives in one day. And while we were on that prayer meeting and I gave that report, after it was done, I flipped over my social media and I discovered that Clayton had spoken at Liberty that night, the night before, and they had 100 kids who got saved. And my friend who's the president at Carson Newman posted at the same time that at Carson Newman they'd had 15 kids get saved and get baptized in the Mossy Creek next to campus. And I was just amazed thinking about this because when they told me they were praying, I'm like, you know, I'm a preacher, so I'm like, yeah, you're praying. Thank you very much. This is holy. And then I watched that in less than a week, in three schools that I know of, over 150 kids got saved. Y'all hearing any of this anywhere? Because I'm not hearing any of this anywhere, and that's why I'm here to tell y'all, God is doing something. And it is an incredible thing because I'm hearing, about, I'm hearing it from pastors that people are getting saved and getting baptized. We've got a church in Charlotte right now. I think they're going to baptize 300 people this year. There's one in Nashville that's going to go over 1,000. One of the things that's happened out of the pandemic is people are longing for hope and they're longing for something other than what we've had the last two years. And because of that, I think that God is pouring out something that's happening. And I'm here to tell you all that God is faithful. And this is why I have hope, because God is absolutely faithful. By the way, this week on campus, we're having our global missions emphasis. We are going to challenge our students to ask themselves the question, is God calling you to be a missionary? 
So y'all join us in prayer. We hope we're going to have a harvest on that as well. But when I read this passage that says that we are regarding Christ and that we're always ready to give a defense, I want to, that's, that's there in verse 15, in your hearts and you're ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. This passage is one that really means a lot to me because of something I'm going to tell you about in a second. But what I want to first start with is hope is actually contagious. When I tell you that God is on the move and we've seen over 150 kids get saved in the last week or so, does that encourage anybody? It encourages me. I'm reading it to my wife. I'm reading Instagram to my wife. I go, honey, look at this. Clayton's been doing this. Look at this. There's been this going on at Carson Newman. Look at this. All these places have things going on. We are desperate for hope because God has designed us to resonate with hope. When we see hope, it gives us hope. And when we become hopeful, we allow others around us also to become hopeful because what we find is that we are desperate for hope and hope is actually contagious. Now, when I look at social media, and uh, I live in social media because of the job that I'm in, I'm always reading things and checking out things and making sure, see if anybody say anything about me on social media or accusing me of something on social media. But one of the things that I'm really conscious of is because of my career, and uh, I've only been in Christian colleges for part of my career, my, my social media is filled with friends and former students who are not Christ followers. One of the things that I'm very aware of is how little Christian social media is about the hope of the gospel and how much of it is a criticism of everything that's going on. And it's very easy for us to be, become pessimists. And let me tell you something. The evil one wants us to be pessimists and wants us to turn our back on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. But what Christ wants for us to do is to turn ourselves and see that we do not just have any hope. We have the hope that transcends everything else that is in this world because we have the hope in the one who actually made the world. We may not know who what the future holds, but we know who made the future. We know who holds the future. We know who holds, knows the future. And because of this, we are able to have a hope that is rooted in something completely different than what the world has. And so number two, our hope is rooted in Christ himself. As the passage says, in our hearts, we will honor Christ the Lord as holy. And so what that means is that we are not merely optimistic. We're not optimistic in saying things are going to be fine. We instead are ones who have hope because we know that it's going to be fine because we know who wins in the end. I'm a literature professor, and one of the things I sometimes will tell my students is, don't flip to the back of the book. You're going to skip all the best parts. Well, I'm going to tell you the best part is in the back of the book. And in the back of the book, we find that Jesus Christ is Lord and he reigns and he is the one who transcends all this. And so when we say that our hope is in Christ, no matter what is going on in this world, what we mean is that we are not merely optimistic. We are knowledgeable about how things end because we know the one who ends it and the one who has had a plan for it since the very beginning. Because history has a start, history has a finish, but outside of all of that is Jesus Christ and is what has happened through his work. The third thing I want for you to understand is that our hope grows out of God's faithfulness. Uh, down there in verse 18, it says, Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. See, we have hope because of what has already happened, and that causes us to have hope no matter what will happen. My life's verse is 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And what that means is that everything else is out of God. 
It, it proceeds out of Christ. The love that I have is the love that Christ has planted in me and has through me. Uh, the, the friendships that I have are ones that are rooted in the love that God has for me. My love for my wife is not rooted in my, my emotions toward her. Instead, it is rooted in the love that God has for me. And what this means is that our, our hope is not rooted in something that is merely temporal. It's rooted in something that is absolutely eternal. And that God himself, through his faithfulness in Christ Jesus, has provided absolute hope for us. And there ought to be in Christ a hope in us that shines for the the rest of the world to see, even when we aren't using words. Let me give you an example. I had the opportunity about 12 years ago to, to, to go to Ukraine on a mission trip, and I was actually in the part of Ukraine that's in the news now. So uh, all this offensive that's been happening this week in Kharkiv, I was in the next city over, Poltava. And uh, I had the opportunity to teach in four different universities. They asked me to meet with faculty members in four different universities and to speak with students. I had some students with me, and, and they spoke to students. And in one of the sessions, I was meeting with the faculty. We were in a closed room, and they said, why are you here? And I said, well, because I love Ukraine. I'm so impressed with the people. And I went down a list, like a bullet point list of all the things that I saw that were incredible about the nation of Ukraine and about the Ukrainian people. And one of the teachers finally said, wait, 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 we have no hope in ourselves. Why do you have hope in us? Now, I want to point out what she literally asked me is, why do you have hope? <clears throat> is there a verse in the Bible that says something about people asking you about the hope that you have in you? Now, I could not go into that context and say, I'm here to speak to you about Jesus Christ and so forth. But once they said, why do you have hope? I said, well, let me tell you why I have hope. I have hope because I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe that Jesus Christ loves you and loves this nation, and Jesus Christ has a plan for each and every. I was able to share the gospel in that context. I was in another context one time where they asked me to pray, and I prayed a longer prayer than I usually do. And at the end of the prayer, one of the men in the room was weeping as I concluded my prayer, and he said, why do you pray as if you have hope? And I said, because I believe that Jesus Christ loves us and Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And I was able to do a gospel presentation there in that context. Y'all, you have neighbors who are looking at you and they're wondering, why do they have hope? What is it they have and I don't have? You have family members that are doing the same thing. We have a watching world that is trying to figure out why on earth are you in Sunday at church singing praises, listening to orchestra music, listening to why are you doing all of those things? What does that provide you? That is an opportunity for you to be able to come in and answer that invitation to share about what God is doing in your life. Now, what I want to make sure you're all thinking about is how we need to reflect on God's faithfulness in our life. If you've been to any of the other sessions, or if you haven't, you'll know that the scripture, 1 Peter, is all about sufferings. It's all about affliction. It's about oppression. It's about slander. There are all these passages in all the different chapters of this that are talking about how all of us are going to face opportunities where we are going to see that things are not going the way that we want for them to see. But what the scriptures also tell us in these passages is that God is at work in these things. And when you get to the other side, you need to be prepared to tell people about what's going on. And this is ultimately what is happening with the hope that is in here. And I want to share uh, two things with you uh, as, as I reflect on this. So uh, I had a godly grandfather. He was rough. Any of y'all have a godly grandfather who was rough? He, he, was, he was rough. 
And I was terrified of him. I thought he was like the Pope or something. He was a pastor and had been an evangelist. In fact, I have his preaching Bible in my office. It's the Bible he preached with all around the world in the 1950s when he did evangelism. And uh, when, when uh, the last few years of his life, I lived near him. It was the first time I'd lived near him since I was a child. And so uh, often I would have the opportunity to drive grandfather around. So we would go to stores. Uh, uh, one of the last things that we did was he wanted to go see his parents' grave for the last time. Uh, he, and I didn't even know where they were buried, but we went to this little country church outside Meridian, Mississippi, and it was about, a, about an hour, 45-minute drive up there and all. And so while we were having these drives, I often had enough sense to ask him, Grandfather, tell me about this time in your life. Tell me about this season in your life. And uh, one day, uh, we were back at the house, and, and we were talking about some of these things, and he said, he called me Hoss. Anybody remember Bonanza? I was a big baby. I weighed almost 10 pounds when I was born, so they called me Hoss. He weighed, by the way, 14 pounds when he was born. Uh, his mother uh, was uh, uh, 14 years old, and he weighed 14 pounds, and he also had the largest head in the county because they wore hats back then, and so you knew who had the largest head in the county. But that's a side note uh, that I'll just throw in there for your edification this morning. But we were, we were back at his house one time, and, and we had been talking about some of this stuff, and he said, Hoss, so, Hoss, I, I want to make sure you understand something about the Christian life and about faith. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you know, I think back on my life. And he said, uh, and, and he had, man, it was some life. His parents abandoned him when he was eight years old. Uh, they decided, this is in the 1920s, they decided they were getting a divorce and neither of them could take him. So when he was like eight, nine years old, they arranged for him to rent a room in the back of the general store at that age. And so he said, you know, my parents abandoned me and I was not raised in the church at all. He said, but there were people who talked to me and people who loved me. And he said, you know, when I was 11 years old, and I am not kidding you, I could do a whole sermon on this. So when I was 11 years old and I decided I was going to commit suicide in the yard of the church that was nearby, Gumlog Baptist Church, he said, there was something that happened there, and he, he started going through all these different incidents, and then when he was, I think, about 40 years old and finally got saved after all the things he had gone through, and then God called him to be a preacher, called him to be an evangelist. He said, look, what you got to understand about, about life, Gene, is he said, all these things that happen when you get down here in your life and you start looking back on all these things, you begin to realize that God has been faithful even when you didn't understand that he was being faithful. And he said, so I'm back here as a little kid and my parents abandoned me and I'm, I'm an elective orphan by my parents. He said, now I understand that God was leading and directing me even then when I didn't know his name to call on him. And he said, when, when I was tempted to commit suicide, there was an intervention that happened because of a teacher that he had. And he th talked about the time at the well that he met my grandmother. It's like, bibl how biblical is that to meet your wife at the well? It's like, uh, you know, Old Testament stuff. And he met my grandma, and then somehow he ended up at this revival, and he heard the gospel from the evangelist, and then he began, and, and he said, what you got to understand about your life at your age, Gene? He said, I I'm here at this end, and I know I'm getting close to the end. And he said, but I can see the silver thread that God has woven throughout my life that allowed me to be in a position now where I can look back and I can say, God is faithful. And he said, what you got to understand is that 
we think of faith as a forward-looking thing, like we, we've got faith in the future and all that. He said, that's not what faith is. He said, faith and hope is rooted in the past because you see God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. We get into the present, we have a circumstance we don't understand, and we can look back and go, God is faithful, and that means he will be faithful now, he is faithful now, and this is the hope that we have. The hope that we have is rooted in God's faithfulness and knowing that this will be the faithfulness of God all the way forward in the future. And so why do we have hope? We have hope because God is faithful. And because we see things that other people do not see, we have seen the healing that has happened. We have seen the miraculous salvations that have happened. We have seen the interventions out of the middle of nowhere that all of a sudden we realize this, is, this could not have happened apart from God. And because we have seen those things, we now have hope. I, you know, I, we're going through the pandemic and stuff a couple of years ago, and peop, all my friends are freaking out who are college presidents. How are we going to survive? And I said, hey, God's going to get us through this. God's got this. This is not a surprise. And that's ultimately what the hope of the gospel is, is God is not surprised by anything. He's not surprised by your sin. He's not surprised by your afflictions. He's not surprised by your sickness. He knows all things. He is over all things. And he is working through all things to bring glory to his name. And so when we look at this and we see in verse 18 that Christ has suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we may become righteous, by the way, that all of that happens that we can bring glory to God. And so when people ask for a defense of the hope that is in us, it is clear that what we are to talk about is about Jesus Christ himself. Because this is the hope that ultimately we have. Now, I, I, I brought myself some tissue, because I'm going to wipe my nose right now. And I was strangely moved last night that I need to give my testimony. And I can't tell my testimony without getting emotional. And is that okay with y'all? So let me tell you my testimony. I was five years old. I was not a nuclear arms merchant. I was not, to use a good King James word, a whoremonger. I was five years old. But I was in the back hallway of the church, and uh, I dropped the F-bomb in the back hallway of the church at age five. I learned it from my mother's mother. <laughs> my mom was from rough people. Let me tell y'all, my mom played forward on the state championship basketball team. They grew her hair out long. They would weave lead fishing weights into their braids, so when they go get the rebound, they'd pop the other girl with their braids. I came from rough people, rough people. So I had dropped that in the back hallway. Daddy heard me. A deacon heard me, which made it even worse. And Daddy said, all right, head to the house. We lived in the parsonage next door. He said, you know what's coming. So, uh, which also tells you, our rule was you got your mouth washed out with soap. Anybody get their mouth washed out with soap? Man, I knew all the flavors of soap that were in the, in the discount store. Because uh, I had the mouth of a sailor, thanks in part to uh, some of my relatives and all. And so dad finished up whatever it was that he was doing. And uh, I was over at the parsonage. I still remember I was sitting on the side of the bed. And uh, daddy came in and he said, all right, you know what's coming? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, do you even know what that word means? I had no idea what the word meant. Uh, but I knew I was not supposed to say it. So I had, I had broken the rules and all. And so he said, all right. Uh, go ahead. And the way that we did it in our house was you pulled out your toothbrush and you would wet it and then you would uh, rub soap on the bristles. And that's the way that we would do this. And so uh, I was pretty good at it by this time, actually. 
But what struck me this time, and I still remember this happening, I, I told you I was five years old, but I remember the just as, I still remember it as clear. I can remember the temperature of the room. I can remember the color of the room. I can remember I was sitting on the edge of the bathtub. And so uh, daddy reached up and he got the toothbrush. And you know how that was. And you all have to cut your own switches, you know. Uh, daddy was going to soap it up for me and make sure it was done real good. And uh, so he reached over and grabbed the toothbrush and he started soaping it up. And then I realized he took his toothbrush, not mine. And I, he said, I want you to understand something, son. You have sinned, but I'm going to take the punishment for your sin. And he, he brushed his teeth, and he spat the soap out. And then he sat me back down in my room, and he said, this is what Christ did for you. You sinned, and Christ took the punishment for your sin. And that night, I had sinned, and my father took the punishment for my sin. And I remember being strangely moved in my heart. And I knew that I needed to confess that I was a sinner. Even at that young age, I needed to confess that I was a sinner. And y'all, this is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is that we are sinners, but while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this means that we have the hope of the gospel in our hearts, that no matter what's going on, whatever affliction we have, whatever sin we have, whatever failures we may commit, we have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if he is powerful enough to save a little boy, if he's powerful enough to save a great sinner, like a little boy or a big boy or a big girl, he is faithful to continue in that. Verse 18 tells us, He has died for our sins once for all, all the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. And so this is the ultimate hope that we have, is that we have been brought before God by Christ through His resurrection. And this is why we have hope. And so, Pastor, I hope y'all don't mind that I've shared my testimony. I don't share it that often because it's hard for me to get through and it's embarrassing because I've got like a Ph.D., and we're not supposed to be emotional and stuff, you know. But this is what I want for you all to understand. We have a foundation of hope that is not built on anything in this world. It is built on the one who made the world. And because of that, we have an opportunity to have a life that is different, that leads to an eternity that is constant in its worship of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we do have hope. God, this world is filled with a lack of hope. God, all we, every time we turn on the, room, the, the TV, they're arguing, they're fighting, they're telling us how bad it is, they're telling us about how bad so-and-so is. God, help us to be a people to tell people how good you are. God, help us not to be um, ones that are overwhelmed by the pessimism of this world, by the division of this world. God, help us to be people who cling to the gospel that you have given us. God, help us not to make it too complicated. God, help us to understand that it is a simple gospel. You love us. You've laid down your life for us. We have the opportunity to respond to that and to draw from that wellspring for the rest of our lives and the rest of eternity the hope that we can find in you. So God, we pray that you will give us opportunities to share the hope that is in us, to defend that hope to do it in gentleness and in humility. God, we pray that you will give us opportunities to share how you yourself have moved in our lives. 
And God, I pray that even now, if there's anyone who has not turned that loose, has not just said, Jesus, I can't do it, I'm a sinner, that you'll turn them loose and allow them to be able to respond to your gospel and that we will all find encouragement in that. God, help us to constantly claim knowledge that you are Lord and we have hope. And we pray all these things this morning in Christ's name. Amen.